Titus 1, our uh, portion is verses 8 through 9, but we'll read verse 7 uh, to catch the verb. So Titus 1, verses 7 through 9, these are God's words. For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. So far the reading of God's inspired and inerrant word. So we're looking at verse 8, and these are the things that the bishop or the elder must be. Uh, he is an elder, so he is mature in the faith. He has uh, grown in these things, uh, and he is an overseer. Uh, and so he is supposed to be leading the congregation in being these things. And what we see in these verses is he has a character uh, towards others, towards God, and towards himself that is formed by right doctrine. And he, uh, so he doesn't just seem to act a certain way, but it's from good theology about Jesus that he has come to act that way from the heart. And he learned that by being taught by others. So he knows the value of someone investing in you theologically to show you Jesus from the word, to give you the words of the spirit, to give you the instruction uh, and the house rules of our heavenly father. And he knows the value of God using another person to teach you that so that so that he blesses his word to you and produces that character in you. And not only does he know that value for himself, but then he pursues it for others. So more specifically in more detail then, uh, he must be hospitable, literally uh, a lover of strangers, uh, someone who does not love based on uh, self-interest, uh, but somebody who loves based on divine interest. Uh, even a stranger is made in the image of God. Uh, and so that's what it takes for him to care about the best interests of someone else, to be willing to lay himself out for the sake of someone else. Yes, there are connections to himself in God's providence uh, that makes people less stranger to him and makes him more obligated to them. Uh, your mom is still a stranger to me in, in some ways. I'm still learning what she is like, and she is not uh, entirely myself, but she, have, uh, she is the least stranger person to me in the whole world because we are one flesh and one self. I'm to love her not only as my own body, but as my own self, but that comes from God. And so that's why she has priority over everyone else in the world, even over you children. You children are from uh, my own flesh. You are adopted covenantally in me, uh, assigned to me by God. I have a federal responsibility uh, and fatherly affectionate connection to you. Uh, but that's assigned by God. It's not out of self-interest that I prioritize you after your mother above everyone else on the earth. 
But because the love of the bishop or the elder who is teaching Christians how to love comes from that which is assigned by God, there is nobody who is such a stranger that he may not love him. Because even the the most foreign person to me in the world is still made in the image of God. And so God says not just love your neighbor, but he classifies among neighbor, um, even your enemy, doesn't he? And he gives us uh, the example, of course, um, the Lord Jesus gave us uh, of the Samaritan uh, who loved his neighbor. Uh, and his neighbor was one who was among the enemies, uh, from among uh, the enemies. Uh, and so a lover of strangers is the first thing. Someone who loves God and the image of God in other people. The second thing then is a lover of what is good. So he doesn't just love uh, love all people, love his neighbor, love his enemy, love the stranger. He loves God above all. Because God is uh, the definition of what is good. And so whatever God is, he loves, but he loves God himself as a person. But whatever God says is good, he also loves. Uh, not just agrees with, approves of, follows what God says is good, but he loves what God says is good. Why? Because the only place goodness comes from is God. And so just like he loves people because of God's image in those people, he loves everything that is good. He loves God's whole creation. This is one of those reasons why um, it can be so harmful to make up rules that seem like good ideas for avoiding sin, but end up putting you opposite God. Now, we don't have to. Uh, we mustn't love sin. We must not love abuse of alcohol. But alcohol is a good gift from God, for instance, and we should love the goodness in everything that God made, just like we should love every person for the image of God in that person. All creatures of God are good if they are received, if they are sanctified by uh, thanksgiving and the word. Okay, So he is, um, he is a lover of strangers, lover of what is good. Uh, he is sober-minded. Uh, this is uh, towards himself. We're going to see this. Uh, we're going to see two triplets here. This is the end uh, of the first triplet. Uh, but he is uh, dignified and noble uh, in his mind. He's controlled by wisdom. He's theologically principled. Uh, in other words, he carries and conducts himself in a way that honors uh, belonging to God and that his own life is a stewardship from God. And that's very important because we've just heard in the previous verse that the uh, the church is the house of God and the eldership is a stewardship of that house. Well, learning to be a steward starts with learning to steward yourself. The boys who are in the men's breakfast and we were talking about loving our wives as our own body, as our own self. Uh, how one of the ways that that gets corrupted is by unbiblical ideas of what loving yourself means. And that we must love ourselves biblically, rightly, take care of our body, take care of our soul, understand both as a stewardship from God so that we will uh, be able to take care of our wife the right way as well. Uh, well, this sober-mindedness is a big part of that. 
living as someone who is controlled by wisdom in a way that is dignified and noble, uh, stewarding our own life. Uh, and so you have the three loves, and then you have really the the three actions upon that love. Uh, he is hospitable, a lover of what is good and sober-minded, but he's also to be just. There are variations of the root for righteous, uh, and this is one that really means uh, fair and equitable and does right in his conduct towards others. Uh, so he is... he. Uh, treats others rightly, properly, appropriately. Uh, he is holy. This is uh, a biblical piety. He does what is right towards God. He worships God. He places the worship of God above all other things. Uh, and when he comes to worship God, he worships God as if God really is, which means he worships God in the actions by which God says to worship. Uh, because if you have a true God, then you worship how he says, not how you feel. And he worships God in the manner uh, as he does his actions with reverence and awe uh, as to one who is a consuming fire. But uh, in covenant with God, uh, as we heard in Psalm 100, uh, coming with not just the uh, the joy and um, gladness and thankfulness and intensity, but also nearness and intimacy. And we saw that also in Psalm 95, uh, for instance. So he's a, he's a pious man. He doesn't just do what is right towards others. It begins with doing what is right towards God. And then, of course, uh, self-controlled, he uh, does what is right with respect to himself. He possesses himself well. He is particularly enabled to follow what the Word says, because he is not manipulated by others, he is in um, he is in control. He is serving the Lord with what he does uh, with himself. And so those are the those are the characteristics: the uh, the three loves and the three actions. Others, God, self, uh, in the order of listing here. Priority, of course, God, other, self. Uh, but how is the character of verse eight produced? Uh, and you see that it's a how because of the participle. Holding fast the faithful word. And so the relationship of the first phrase in verse 9 to what we see in verse 8 is that it is holding fast the faithful word that makes him a lover of strangers. It is the holding fast of the faithful word that makes him a lover of what is good. It is the holding fast of the faithful word that produces the rest of it and so, so forth. Uh, but not just the faithful word, but it's the faithful word as he has been taught. He is a teachable, instructable person, uh, knowing that God is the one uh, who produces character in us, and he has chosen to do that producing by means of his word. And so he holds fast to the faithful word, because the faithful word is the means by which God is appointed to hold fast to him. And so not only does he submit himself to God's word, but he submits himself to God's way of giving him the word, which means he doesn't lock himself in in his room and study his Bible and come up with his ideas. And then he goes to church and hears the sermon and spends the whole sermon uh, thinking that the uh, the things that he's hearing must not be as true and right as uh, as what he came up with by himself. No, he understands that elders and bishops, pastors, you know, all different Bible words for the same group of people, 
are Jesus's plan and Jesus's method. And there may be times where um, something does not seem to be borne out by the word itself. And there's an obligation on those who teach uh, to make it as plain as possible. That what they are saying is what the word says. That this man, the one who is going to be a teacher of others, he has to be teachable himself first. He has to understand the dynamics of how the Lord is using his word to grow his people. And so he needs to have been on the receiving end of that. He doesn't just hold fast the faithful word. He holds fast the faithful word as has been taught. And so he prays for his teachers and respects his teachers and he submits uh, to his teachers. And he has done that uh, so that he may be able, if, you know, once he becomes the teacher, May, he may be able by sound doctrine. So it is uh, it is proper theology that he uses both to exhort, that is to to give the uh, the positive use of the word for everything that the the hearer needs to hear, the believer needs to hear, um, whether that's uh, warning or comfort and instruction, application. Um, encouragement, uh, all of those things fall under the word that's behind the word exhort. And then convict, because people don't always receive that comfort or that encouragement or that command or that application. Uh, And so not only does he have to be able to show people by sound doctrine on the front end what they should think, feel, say, and do, uh, but he needs to be able to show people by sound doctrine on the back end if they're not thinking, feeling, speaking, or acting uh, the way that they should. Uh, because when, in either way, whether they could contradict the sound doctrine in their ideas, or whether it is their life and their follow-through that is contradicting the sound doctrine, they need what the Lord assigns for the elder to do is to be an able teacher uh, to show them by sound doctrine. Uh, both of those things. Uh, so that uh, the Lord blessing uh, his use of the ministry that he has appointed, he would produce a whole congregation of people who have the verse 8 character by his use of the ministry of the bishop or the elder or the overseer. And so the Lord give us uh, to cling sound doctrine, to hold fast to the faithful word, um, that we have been taught that by his use of that word in our hearts, he would produce in us the character that we see in verse 8. Let's pray. Father, I pray for myself, my wife, my children, that you would indeed do your word work in us by your spirit, that we would properly love you and others and ourselves, and that we would act rightly towards others, and worshipfully, piously towards you and be in proper theological wisdom control of ourselves. So help us by your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.